0: I open this morning with words from Yosima Reyes, an undocumented American poet and activist who was born in Guerrero, Mexico, and raised in East San Jose, California. Some days you may wake up sad. Some days you may wake up frustrated. Some days you may wake up tired. Some days you may wonder if it's worth it. Some days you may question your own growth. Some days you may think on how immense the world is to be caged in this country, to be subjugated to all this abuse. Some days you just want to breathe. And baby, I am here to remind you to sit in those moments, to sit in that whirlpool, but just know that there are people like me picking up the load when you can't. There are people like me pushing so the weight of this country does not crush you, that there are people like you who will fight when I can't. We will take turns pushing against these walls. I got your back and you got mine. And in the scheme of things, does anything else matter? Even if our fight is unfruitful, we will depart with our dignity intact. We will depart knowing that this country is losing a prized possession. This country is losing the gift of our resilience. We will watch them as they tear into each other's skins and thank the heavens. We never turned beasts like them. I invite you now to join in our opening song this morning.
1: Good morning, and welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. I am Zeb Green, the clergy intern here, and I'm so glad that you're here this morning, whether you are in this room or joining joining us on Facebook. Visitors and guests, we hope you got a blue name tag on that we know who you are and can welcome you and answer any questions that you might have. We love talking about this community, and why it is so important to us, and we'd like to hear what you're looking for from us, and we hope that you'll be joining us after the platform service for coffee and cookies in the lobby and the social hall. Also, please consider sharing your email with us so we can add you to our mailing list. You can drop it in the collection basket later in the service. I want to remind you to please silence your electronic devices so you can be fully present this morning. And although we would love it if you could check in on social media. (laughs) Um, I would now like to invite Karen to come forward and read our statement of purpose and share a name of fear that you have faced for us.
2: So, our theme this month is courage, and uh, the thing that I fear and so work to resist and have courage about is irrelevance. And our statement of purpose the Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, We appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. And we invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders.
1: Thank you. As Karen lights our community candle, I invite you all to join in the candlelighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. I invite you all into a time of meditation. Take a moment to settle into your bodies. Take a nice, deep breath, pausing to consider how we each breathe the same air. On the exhale, notice the change that occurs. Not just oxygen to carbon dioxide, but the change inside of us. How we each live different lives, have different experiences with unique pains and specific joys As we breathe, we take in that communal air and we change it. We make it ours. This change keeps us alive. Then we breathe out, sharing this unique part of ourselves, changing the very air we breathe. To be together in community is to be transformed together. We can never fully know another's internal world In the face of this uncertainty, how can we be open to transformation and growth? As we sit here, breathing together, consider what gifts we bring to this community, consider what we need from one another. Thank you. I wanna welcome those who are just joining us this morning. We're so glad to have you with us. We ring this bell in solidarity with the people of the world. Today, especially, we hold the people of Puerto Rico in our hearts. As we listen to the chime Let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us hold in our hearts all that hurts in this world. And let us commit ourselves to all that calls for our work and our love.
0: thank you so much for that beautiful piece which was at least for me i don't know about all of you but um at least for me it was uh enhanced by the smell of waffles (laughs) coming from the kitchen where our teen group is preparing waffles for in between platforms so i just really had a whole full body meditative sensation (laughs) experience that was quite beautiful and um we're so glad to have one of our newest members of the community with us this morning. Yes. Already she's, she's cooed perfectly on cue as Zeb shared the love that connects us in the world, all that we are called to, to, uh, to work for and love. Oh, perfect. So it is good to be together with babies and waffles and beautiful music. I was a fearful child, and frankly, most of those childhood fears stayed with me right through young adulthood, or still, I no longer get to consider myself technically a young adult, just having a little few moments about that these (laughs) days. That's a different platform. (laughs) I have to do my own work first, though. Um, Those fears, though, stayed with me through young adulthood. I was scared of, some of you have heard this list before in years past. Let's see, uh, dogs, the dark, matches. That was a particularly hard one for someone training to become a clergy person. There's a lot of candle lighting, it turns out, involved. Uh, Driving on highways, that was a really hard one for someone moving to the D.C. area. I um, spent a lot of time driving through circuitous routes on, I could handle 410 for a while, but nothing else. Finally uh, did some early morning, and I mean early morning practice on the GW Parkway and was able to move past that. In fact, along with these fears and others, I had a whole understanding of myself as someone who was afraid of things, you know, as part of my identity, a fearful person. Someone without a lot of courage, I guess. Now, of course, eventually I got wiser than that. Most of you are probably already wiser than that. You realize that being afraid is not counter to having courage, right? You don't have to be without fear to be courageous. This month, we are inviting candlelighters, as Karen so beautifully showed for us, to light a candle and name a fear that they hold and have faced. And I want to be very clear that I, that doesn't mean they don't still have the fear present with them, right? Facing a fear doesn't mean it goes away. If you want to be one of those people, naming your fears that you have faced into this space. I hope you'll send me an email and we can figure out a time. In fact, I think that most people who act courageously do so while they are full of fear. If you aren't afraid, I'm not even sure that it would count as courage, you know, if it was just hardly anything to you to do. The realization for me came when I decided that I could be near a dog and be afraid and stay there, not run away, that I could just stand or sit with the fear in my body and just kind of hold it and notice it and be aware, that was the courageous thing for me, was sitting with the fear, even more than sitting with the dog. So how do we manage this? How do we find the courage to be with our fears, to face them by walking alongside them, inviting them to be part of us, noticing them? So that we are able in our own lives, lighting matches for instance, and in the larger world. Because, oh, that larger world, (laughs) it seems to require a lot of courage these days, doesn't it? We are called to stand up to oppression and injustice all the time. We have been always, you know, but I do think that it feels more immediate, more present to many of us at this time in our nation's history. And I know that some of the courage that we need, some of the courage I call on in myself these days, is to respond to the world around us, to go to the march, to stand in the street and shut down traffic. That was a new one for me last year. To stand up, to hate speech, to intervene and de-escalate right in the moment if it happens around you. Or maybe sometimes just the courage to go on, to feel as though there are reasons to bother fighting all of that injustice rather than hiding away with our heads in the sand. This past June at the Unitarian Universalist General Assembly, I had the opportunity to hear a special lecture from Brian Stevenson. Brian Stevenson is the author of Just Mercy, a story of justice and redemption. And um, he has spent really the majority of his life as a defense lawyer, working specifically with people who are on death row. Uh, And and out of that work, he has begun uh, sort of in the last few years and with the publishing of this book and speaking engagements, really um, a crusade of kinds against mass incarceration um, and, and for reform of the criminal justice system uh, in America. So broadening um, from the personal work that he continues to do as a lawyer and really um, acting as an advocate. It was a great speech. He's an incredible speaker. Um, just quite remarkable, and there were four things. I always like speeches where there are four things you come away with, and they tell you the four things, and then they tell you each thing, and then they tell you the four things again. I'm sorry, my platforms are almost never like that. Um, But that's okay. Every once in a while, I'll do one. But here were his four things. They were so good. And I share them because it seems to me that all four of these both require courage and also lead you to courage, help you to build it which is what I'm interested in today. How we encourage courage in ourselves and each other. So Stevenson talked about getting proximate, changing the narrative, being hopeful, and doing uncomfortable things. And I'll just quickly share those with you. They apply in this case to the criminal justice system, but I think that you could apply it to almost any kind of work that you feel called to do. And I do encourage you to read Just Mercy and engage with Stevenson's work or watch his TED Talk. Get proximate was the first one. Get to know people. Be in the place where people are hurting. As a lawyer, he went to death row again and again to meet with folks where they were hurting most. Get proximate. Get out of our own spaces and get proximate. Change the narrative. Change how we think about things. One of the one-liners I took away that I have used myself so many times from Brian Stevenson was the idea that each of us is better than the worst thing we have done. So when we think about people who have done horrific things, right? Horrific things. Many of his clients were guilty of the crimes that they were found guilty of. And yet, he said, we are all better than the worst thing we have done. Therefore, no one's life is a throwaway, irretrievable and irredeemable. So change the narrative. Be hopeful. I will say that when you listen to someone who has spent his lifetime defending people on death row, usually losing his cases, Most of his clients were executed by this date. Hearing that person say to you that what you need to do is have courage to be hopeful makes you think that you maybe should set aside your hopelessness. (laughs) That perhaps he has experienced and his clients have experienced hope at times and in ways that I can hardly imagine. So be hopeful. And then he said, do uncomfortable things. That to me is a, a, an immediate um, uh, outgrowth of getting proximate, right? Getting out of our little spaces, getting to know people who are marginalized in our society, and therefore doing uncomfortable things as we seek to be in solidarity with them to support their leadership and their work for their own liberation. So i offer those as one way to get courage, get proximate, change the narrative, be hopeful and do uncomfortable things. I am often encouraged to courage by the stories of courageous people, Brian Stevenson of course, Maybe one of them, his clients, I would say surely are. I frequently come across those stories through children's books as I look for models for my own daughters and their growing up. And I think it's important to read those stories, to tell them to each other. We're actually in such a story-rich time right now through the visual medium. You can go on Facebook or on the Good News Network and see all kinds of stories with photos and videos of people who have been courageous. And we, too, have our own stories of courage, each one of us. Next week, I'll be inviting folks to share times they have been courageous around their identities, courageous to be who they are fully, whatever that might mean. Alice Blair Wesley is a Unitarian Universalist minister who had an understanding of the Exodus story that I particularly love. The Exodus story is, you know, the flight of the Jews from their enslavement in Egypt and they go through the Red Sea parted for them by God via Moses and um, set through uh, and walk through the Red Sea to safety on the other side. That's usually how the story is told as though it's just this triumphant parting, and then you go and then that's perfect. Alice Blair Wesley tells the story a little bit differently. She talks about how one can imagine that group of Jews standing there before the parted sea and thinking, I'm not walking in there. (laughs) There was a lot of water there just now. Why won't it just close up right after me? There's no way that I'm moving forward. And so they might very well have been stuck still between the Egyptians at their back led by Pharaoh and his guards and this untrustworthy body of water with a little path in front of them. She says the way to know and understand that story is that it took one person to dip their toe in first and to show that it was safe to begin the path forward. Penguins do the same thing in a much less um, uh, biblically dramatic but more adorable way. You know, penguins will cluster together at the top of an ice floe or something, and they all, you can see video of this, it's very cute, they all sort of, you know, penguinize themselves, bottle I guess, back and forth at the top of the ice floe, until finally one penguin either jumps or is pushed, I'm afraid it might be pushed sometimes, and slips over and goes down and sees that indeed it's all right and they get into the water below them and then you can see all of the penguins slipping after. Little penguins taking their courageous leaps because somebody went before. Courage is contagious. And a community like this one can help the contagion spread. I was thinking about courage yesterday. I was part of a West group that was at the March for Racial Justice and the March for Black Women, two marches which uh, rallied separately and then came together and walked from Lincoln Park in D.C. over to the Capitol and past Department of Justice. And, uh, you know, like marches usually are, the rally was Seemingly endless especially if you were there with small children. So we heard great speakers and singers and then finally finally we were marching that's what my kids always want. I want to march I thought we were going to march let's move. So we started to march and walked along um, gathered in this crowd probably the most interracial crowd that I've seen at a protest Um, multi-generational And and we walked along carrying signs, and of course there were marshals on either side, you know, how they'll do in their red vests, making sure that we followed the correct route and that we were kept safe on the march as we went along. About three quarters of the way through the march, um, one of the marshals was a young black woman with a bullhorn. And, uh, and she started helping us with chants, which is another thing marshals regularly do. You know, here's what democracy looks like. And, and so she started in, inviting us to chant, black women matter, black children matter, black women matter, black children matter, over and over and over again. Chants at marches usually have sort of a, like a shelf life. You chant them for a certain period of time and then everybody takes a break, you know, and stops and pauses and chats with each other. And then they'll start another chant, you know. And sometimes they're a call and response, so you get a break in between. They say something, you say something. They say something, you say something. Well, this young black woman kept um, encouraging us and exhorting us to um, to chant over and over again with no break. Black women matter. Black children matter. And she said, do you think you're tired saying these words? Imagine what my life feels feels like all the time the least you can do she said through her bullhorn (laughs) the least you can do is lose your voice for this movement today the least you can do and so we walked along listen I was doing what she said We walked along chanting, black women matter, black children matter, far longer than I've sustained a chant at a protest before, and it made me think about courage. That occasionally I think about the courage it takes to take time out of my life to go to protests or to show up at rallies or to do work, but that, of course, that's nothing compared to the courage that this young woman shows in her life, in her activism, and in her work. I think it's tricky. I don't want to romanticize the experience of people who are marginalized in our society. They certainly don't exist to inspire me. They didn't ask to be courageous. This young woman, I'm sure, would rather not be. And yet, I do find strength in their power in her work for her own liberation in this country and in her request to all of us to do literally the least we could do to lose our voices that day for the movement. I want to share a side note about courage because I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel as though I am not as courageous as I wish I were. There are things I wish I showed up for, or things I wish I had said, and then later we'll spend years thinking about while lying in bed at night and two in the morning. You know, those things. And so it seems apropos to talk about courage and our commitment to courage right the same weekend, just the day after our Jewish siblings have been celebrating Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is a day of atonement and forgiveness when we look at our lives over the last year and ask forgiveness from ourselves and others for how we have fallen short. One of my favorite readings for Yom Kippur comes from the Unitarian minister, Robert Eller Isaacs, although I remember it every year because it is posted on Facebook each year by the ethical culture leader, Susan Rose Teshu. It is her favorite too. The reading begins, for remaining silent when a single voice would have made a difference. We forgive ourselves and each other. We begin again in love. So my side note is that sometimes when our courage fails, we need to reach for that other deep value, forgiveness, and begin again in love. That's the key. Begin again in love. There was another chant at the racial justice march that had me thinking about courage. We marched along different time, different place on the march. And a marshal invited us to say, no hate, no fear, only love is welcome here. It was a nice one. No hate, no fear, only love is welcome here. And I thought to myself, only love? That's a tall order. (laughs) Only love, can we do that? This congregation has not been shy in its criticism of the policies enacted by this administration nationally or the values that the administration and some of its supporters espouse. And I don't regret that courage. To my mind, that's not being overly political so much as it is continuing our values but I think, too, about our core value, the worth of every person. Now, I would say that speaking against injustice highlights and is true to that value, the worth of every person. But I wonder about how we continue to live it out, how it comes into play when we are fighting for justice, fighting perhaps against those we feel are creating injustice in the world. No hate, no fear, only love is welcome here. I called this platform courage for the resistance and the relationships. It seems to me sometimes that being courageous for the resistance is actually the easy part. It's certainly what comes more naturally to me. Having the courage to also stay in relationship, to honor our deepest value of worth of each person, can be harder. And I'm not always sure I want to do it. I did wonder if it even takes courage to do that. Is that the right word, or is it simply that it's hard? But I do think so. Because I know, at least for me, I carry plenty of fear when I think about talking with relatives or friends who believe very, very differently than I do. I'm afraid I won't be able to maintain the relationship at all, or that I will maintain it, but, but I'll do so by uh, betraying my own values and not speaking up when they say something that I disagree with, or that I'll try to talk with them and it will go horribly wrong, Or worst of all, that I won't want to maintain the relationship at all. That I'll decide they aren't worth it and walk away. Now, here's my other side note, right? There are times in our lives and in relationships that we hold where space is the right answer. Times when someone we are in relationship with is simply not able to be respectful of us in a way that would allow that relationship to flourish. Sometimes... That's the right answer for a time, perhaps a long one. But sometimes we are invited to be courageous in our relationships, I think. The word courage comes from Latin by way of old French, from the word for heart. Speakers of New French, I guess it would be called, will recognize it too. Courage with heart. I wonder if hidden in the root of that word may be the key to facing the fears that I hold in relationship work. That courage, the courage that is needed to stay connected is to be in to be in a space where only love is welcome. That courage is the heart we are called to walk with. To hold our fears with heart. For me, that kind of courage is also about faith. I often say that our biggest faith statement here is that every person has worth, especially if you think of faith as being something you believe even despite evidence to the contrary. (laughs) There's plenty of evidence to the contrary on that one. And yet we hold it as one of our core values It's a little different, though, really than belief, than believing that all people have worth. In ethical culture, we talk about attributing worth to people, that it's a conscious choice or a commitment that we make more about us than about them, if that makes sense. I asked a couple of my ethical culture colleagues to reflect on that difference so that I might be able to say it well. Joan Johnson Lewis, who serves in Brooklyn and Riverdale Yonkers, wrote this, We value the actions that come from beliefs more than we value the beliefs. We have no common creed. We have some commitments to act. We say we will attribute worth to every person. We admit we don't know whether there is such a thing as worth, like whether it really exists, but we will take an action anyway, attributing worth. I liked what my colleague Mike Franch said, who's a retired ethical culture leader. I've come to the conclusion, he said, that it's all the same thing. To say that it's inherent is still attributing it, because it's there because we say it's there. It's all kind of a dodge, he went on. (laughs) I think this is what happens when you retire, maybe. Eh, it's all the same thing, doesn't matter. We're looking for reasons, maybe excuses, to treat people decently. At one time, and still today for some folks, behave this way because God said so worked. When that stopped working, we needed other reasons. I still think, he wrote, worth and dignity are a useful ideological framework, but I also like rules. I follow and recommend Adler's supreme ethical rule. That's to elicit the best in someone else and therefore in yourself. To try to figure out what would be their best and to bring it out. I follow and recommend Adler's supreme ethical rule not because he said it, but because I find it works, wrote Franch. Even if you believe people are crap, stained with sin and racism and all matter of vile things, it still works. (laughs) I aspire to the retired leaders club. (laughs) I have a little ways to go, but... The idea of attributing worth not because it's there or even because we have faith in it, but because it works better when we do, right? We are able to move through the world with more courage, with more heart, when we imagine that other people have worth, just as we do. I'd like to end with a story, a story about Colin Kaepernick. We talked about Kaepernick last week, too, making this an unprecedented two football Sundays in a row. (laughs) Last week, many of us gathered outside to uh, take a knee together, to be part of the social media Take a Knee campaign. And I had been thinking and reading a little bit more about Kaepernick. I thought that he had one kind of courage. And he surely does. The kind of courage to stand up against injustice, or in this case, to kneel down against injustice. To go against prevailing norms so that you can make your beliefs known. And he has faced harsh consequences for that in his career. In case you're wondering, he also has money where his mouth is kind of courage. Kaepernick pledged a million dollars to support marginalized communities and he's already spent 700,000 of that Mm -hmm. on groups ranging from United We Dream to Asada's Daughters to the Coalition for the Homeless. Pretty cool. It turns out though, and this is the story I wanna tell, that Kaepernick also has that other kind of courage. The one that's for relationships. The one that has to do with moving with heart. I got this story from Facebook, so I have no author to quote, but I did check it on Snopes, and it's true. It's been verified by numerous sources. So there has been a lot of conversation about why Kaepernick uh, kneels for the national anthem rather than sitting. And he actually started out sitting, it turns out, in August uh, 14th, 2016. He sat for the National Anthem, but nobody noticed. August 20th, he sat again, and again, nobody noticed. It didn't make the statement he was looking for. On August 26th, he sat down, and that time, people noticed, and he was met then with vitriol and um, uh, accusations and all kinds of things within the larger world. Uh, Even, the story notes, the future President of the United States took shots at him while on the campaign trail. Kaepernick went on to explain, now that he had a platform, that his protest had nothing to do with the military or the flag or really the anthem. It has to do with injustice for people of color, particularly around police brutality, and that he felt it hard, therefore, to stand during the anthem in support of a flag and an anthem of a country that didn't treat people of color fairly. So then, four days later on August 30th, Nate Boyer, a former Army Green Beret who became an NFL long snapper, is that a thing? What's that? That's a thing? I'm looking, looking at my football people, it's a thing. Long snapper, thought maybe I recorded that wrong from Facebook. Okay, uh, penned an open letter to Kaepernick um, in the Army Times, he talked about how Copernic's sitting affected him, and it wasn't positive. So here's where the second part of courage comes in. Copernic was able to do, as this Facebook post says, what most Americans to date have not. Mr. Boyer, the Army vet, wrote this, I'm not judging you for standing up for what you believe in. It's your, for, for, it's your inalienable right. What you're doing takes a lot of courage, and I'd be lying if I said I knew what it was like to walk around in your shoes. My initial reaction to your protest was one of anger, but I'm trying to listen to what you're saying and why you're doing it. So here's what happened next. Kaepernick invited Boyer to come to San Diego, and the two of them sat down for 90 minutes to have a conversation about Kopernik's protest, about what he experienced as a person of color in America, and what Boyer felt about his protest and where to go from there. In that conversation, Boyer proposed that Kopernik kneel during the anthem instead of sit. He suggested that because at a military funeral after the flag is taken off the casket of the fallen military member, It is folded 13 times, thoughtfully and carefully, and then presented to the parents, the spouse, or the child of the fallen member by a fellow service member while kneeling. Together, Kaepernick and Boyer decided that kneeling for the flag would symbolize Kaepernick's reverence for those that paid the ultimate sacrifice while still allowing Kaepernick to peacefully protest the injustices that he saw in the world. Empathy, the Facebook post finishes, not zealotry under the guise of patriotism, is the only meaningful way meaningful discussion discussion can be had. Courage and courage. Standing or kneeling against injustice, finding the times to put our money where our mouth is, our feet where our values are and sometimes paying the consequences, and courage moving with heart through the world, facing our fears, inviting them to come along with us, along with our heart. To me, the story of Copernic's original choice and then the adjustment that he made in relationships with someone who didn't agree with him Qualifiers at first, even tens of One call that shows both kinds of courage, of and, and I and hope I can follow you, in those